On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we talk to one of the most successful bettors in the world. How does he look at the importance of noisy trends, dealing with criticism, and how big is his network of bettors? That and more on today's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees podcast, where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. I'm your host, G-Stack George, and I'm excited because today's guest is a professional sports better, co-host of Bet the Pro- Process, a podcast that I love to listen to, and co-founder of Unabated.com. But you probably already have heard of him. Rufus Peabody, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, George. Rufus, normally I do a lot of uh, research on guys and I listen to previous interviews because I try not to repeat um, questions that they always get. But I feel like I'm so familiar listening to your podcast that I didn't have to do past research. I got a feel for who you are. And I'm hoping to ask enough unique questions to make it different. But I wanted to start with what was your life before sports betting? For those who wonder, uh, what what does Rufus's life look like? Before sports betting? Yes. So before sports, I mean, I was always into sports and the number side of sports. I was a big Orioles and Redskins fan growing up, Maryland basketball. And I don't know, I, I... I guess it was a fairly typical, um, typical, atypical life. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I played a lot of sports. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't sports bet as a kid. I, I ran like NCAA tournament pools and stuff, but I, I was never really introduced to the world of sports betting. I didn't have parents that bet. Um, I didn't know any of my friends that did. And so it was this sort of foreign world that got introduced to me um, back in what, 2007. How old were you in 2007 when you get introduced to the world of sports betting? I was 21. I had, I just, I mean, I, I had read an article on ESPN.com by Gene Wojciechowski about Las Vegas sports consultants. Um, he was embedded there for selection Sunday. And, and I was like, man, this seems like the coolest place to work. And I talked my way into an, to an internship with them and it all went from there. Okay. Before that though, did you have like, I know when I was young, I wanted to be a lawyer growing up. And then I learned what actually goes into being a lawyer and how much, uh, you know, uh, precedent and, and minutia there is. And I'm like, it's not as sexy as the movies and the shows make it out to be like this spar of words. What did Rufus want to do before sports betting became a thing? Um, I wanted to be a sports journalist, I think. I mean, I, I that's what I thought going to college, but I, I really, when I was in college, I really didn't even think about it. I know that's weird um, and probably a very privileged thing to say, but, but I, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And, you know, I, speaking of being a lawyer, um, I didn't think I wanted to be a lawyer, but I was always interested um, in like fairness. And I, I worked in high school, well, middle school actually as a soccer, youth soccer referee in the middle and high school as a youth soccer referee in a little league baseball empire. And that is, so, so my my parents always thought like that I'd end up being some sort of like something law related just because I cared a lot about fairness. All right. Let me ask you something. You see uh, oftentimes when a play goes against somewhere, I remember there was a baseball game a week ago where uh, a guy uh, argued balls and strikes and the next eight calls that were tight went against that team. Uh, do you believe like, do you believe in that aspect of, uh, you know, if someone pushes you too far or you just like, I've got a job to do, I don't care. I won't take it personal. Was that your approach to being a, being a ref? Oh, from, for me as a ref. Oh, I, I prided myself in 
and not taking it personally and just, and basically making the right call. And I loved the games where there was controversy. There was once a game I was refereeing, it was a girls soccer game. And one of the teams was basically like all white girls. And the other team was mostly his, like all Hispanic girls. And it got like really ugly. And they were, they, you know, coaches are being like, look, like he sh she shoved her. Like you, how did you not call that? And I'm like, well, I only have two eyes and I'm happy to follow the play. If it happens behind me, I can't see it. And, and I want, I remember one of the coaches were like, I'm going to pull my team off the field. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, I'll tell your supervisor. And I was like, okay, you, you know, there's nothing I can do if I don't see what happens. Like you feel free to do that. I get paid the same regardless. And so I, I, I always loved when a coach would yell something at me and I would be able to yell back what the, like, be like, no, you're actually wrong because this is the rule or parent. So I, I liked, I liked the excitement of it. So th th those are a lot more fun than the, the games where just, there was like no real action. I've been known to uh, fight with a referee or uh, umpire or two in my lifetime. Uh, you are a successful sports better. I talked about my journey when I joined Rob Pozzola on circles off podcast and a lot of it was my struggle to get to a place where I figured things out. Um, did you? How how long did it take for you to figure out how to navigate sports betting? I mean, I'm still figuring it out, right? Love I that answer. <laughs> but so I think a lot of people's journeys are are starting sort of as a losing better and then learning how to win. And I think my journey, I, I came at it from a different place of not being somebody that bet like bet recreationally ever. And so my introduction was all sort of data driven. Like I built a, I built a baseball model based on my sort of senior thesis, um, looking at inefficiencies in the baseball betting market. And, and, you know, I back tested, I expected to do this well. And I, I learned a lot implementing it like that. That's, that's only half the battle there. Um, so there, there was a lot of learning, but, I, I think the big thing is I was never going to go fire on anything without no, like having a, a really, really strong idea that, um, that it was going to win. I have a, I have a question about modeling. Does it always start and begin with the math or does it start with the hypothesis and then you figure out the math after through sample size and data and, and, and if that theory works, because when I hear trends, I cringe is my first reaction. But but I'll always ask myself, okay, is there something that explains this this uh, trend and a cause for it, and then start to to appreciate that the math could be cause and effect as opposed to just happens to be you know uncorrelated just uh, just as happenstance. No, I, I I definitely have hypotheses that I test for sure, and so. Um... I, I try to, rather than looking at a trend like against the spread or something like that, what I try to do is, is basically be able to identify an underlying effect and quantify that effect so that I'm not then at the mercy of the market remaining inefficient in a certain way. And so if, if like the market catches up to some, some trend, something that they were undervaluing or overvaluing in the past, um, I'm not going to be firing into it, assuming it's there because I, I, I won't show the edges. Yeah. that that I did in the past. Yeah, for like for myself when I hear like a stat about this quarterback struggles in primetime games and I'm like it's such a small sample size of of what he actually does 
And I might not read into that as much, but when I hear like a first year head coach struggles to cover the spread on a Thursday night football game, you know, a first year head coach, a short week, that's a brand new circumstance that perhaps he wasn't ready and didn't ready his team enough in that situation where you have short, short time to prep for a team. And I go, there's, there's a trend where I'm like, okay, now let's look at the sample size and let's see if there is something to it. I need a reason at first uh, to want to explore the math after. I actually wanted to talk to you about golf. Oh, wait, wait. I want to, I want to interject on that. I think that's a, that's a really interesting example. And I think um, a good avenue for sort of me to explain my approach on these things. And, and the approach there is, is to sort of say, okay, um, let's say a, a player struggling in primetime games you know, there might be a significant sample, um, but that doesn't mean that it's going to continue that way. And so I would essentially look and, and see other quarterbacks, basically, if there's any predictive value overall across the, the spectrum of the whole population of quarterbacks, basically, if this guy's, you know, how much they've underachieved by um, in primetime games has any predictive power. Um, and so, you know, if they underachieved by, let's say, I don't know, like 10 expected points over the course of like three games. Like, you know, what does that mean going forward? So it's, I think that you're not gonna, I think it's very rare that there's only one, well, that there's some effect that only exists for one person or one coach, for example, like if, and and so if that's the case, I'm going to miss those. But if it's something that like in the past I've seen, oh, there have been quarterbacks that have struggled in prime time, but we've seen that predictively as a whole, like that doesn't actually, there's no persistent predictive power there. Then I'm going to say, okay, let's, you know, we're just not going to, you know, we're not, I'm not going to use that. Okay. I actually wanted to talk to you about golf. I, first, I have a funny story. I, When I was hosting a podcast of my own, I had Patrick Everson on, and he's telling a story about interviewing you at the Super Bowl and how like you got your computer set up and you're going through simulations for props. And a buddy of mine uh, in my group chat says, who is this Rufus guy? He sounds interesting. And I explained to him, like, you know, Rufus is one of the best uh, be, uh, golf bettors out there and <laughs> every time he hits any golf bets and he outrights he always posts a screenshot and he goes tell rufus about me I, i'm ready to work for him right and uh my friend loves you but uh, i want to ask you about golf because i find it fascinating for two reasons i think when covid happened uh a lot more people got interested in golf and the potential in betting it i also think People like to bet events, you know, March Madness is an event. It's its own tournament and golf provides, you know, 25 or 30 different weekend events. So isolated events, tournaments, things for people to get interested in. Has the market changed from when you first started betting golf to now? Have you noticed a, an influx of people in, in the market? I mean, I think the market, I mean, for sure it has. The, the market's always changing. I think markets in general are always getting more efficient. And I think golf is... Um, golf is that way too. And I think with more data readily available to people, you know, there's sites like data golf that where you can get data, like that's been, um, processed and analyzed already, um, pretty well, then, you know, that 
it gives people a better baseline understanding of, of how to sort of approach it. And so that, that definitely has make, made the market more efficient. And so I'm just like with, with everything you have to, uh, you have to keep evolving if you want to stay ahead. There's an interesting aspect of golf. It, there's one part uh, course uh, and how a player plays on the course. There's one aspect of, you know, how has he looked in the last two years? And then there's one other aspect of recent form when you're, when you're weighing the three and obviously I'm not asking you to give out your recipe. Um, how do you balance what the right ratio is of what's what you put higher importance on course familiarity, recent form, or somebody who has traditionally been good for a couple of years? So I don't think of it that way as like recent form versus long-term form. I, I, I have sort of a, a, a DK function I use to essentially say how much I weight previous tournaments. So it's, um, you know, it, that is going to handle the, that. And so, and I'll say this, it's going to be different for different aspects of player performance as well. So something like performance off the tee, uh, recent performances can matter a lot more than something like putting. And so I think those, those together, um, and just the performance, like how good a golfer is overall matters a lot more than, than the course stuff. But, um, the core stuff does, does definitely have some impact. And I think that's kind of where some of the, uh, the special sauce is in terms of figuring out ways to look at things maybe in a different way than other people do uh, in that regard. And that's kind of a way I've been evolving. Okay. I, let's speak of evolution. Once upon a time, uh, data was harder to find for everything. And now, um, you know, there's companies out there that feed data because there's a lot more betters in the market. And so a lot of people have access to some of the same data samples that everybody has. And my question is, what do you think is more important now? I obviously back in the day, if you had data that nobody else did, you had a huge edge, but do you think access to data or knowing how to qualify that data is more important? I don't know. Cause I don't think with, without good data, it doesn't really matter um, what you do. If you, if you're at an information disadvantage, you're, you know, you're playing a sucker's game unless it's like just a, a really, really inefficient market. But so, so I would say that's kind of like the, the, the right data is a prerequisite. I think for me, um, the ability to process it has always been my advantage, okay. but I know that there's other people that, that just think have like that win by having an information advantage and cultivate networks for, to get information. And that, so I think there's different ways to do it, but I think you definitely need to have good data. Hey, I want to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to betters in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years. Competitive odds, your trusted sports book, bet smart, bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly, not available in the U.S. I, I, you're always growing your, um, you know, your network. I know Tele, I think it's Telemachus, uh, joined up with your team. Uh, how, uh, how large and important is your network and how do you go about finding the right people to let in? So this is something I probably haven't been great at throughout my, um, throughout my career, but in, like I've, I've been too slow, I think to bring people on, but we have our, our actual team is very small. Um, our, our team is like, I'd say 
you know, four people, um, because you could argue maybe five. Um, but, and then obviously we have lots of net, like we use a lot of different people to bet. So yes. it's very decentralized there. I'll say when I started, I was one on a team of four people, or I guess eight, there were four sort of main partners and then four like runners, like minor partners. And then that was what, 2009 and people kind of came in and out of that. But I basically was with that group until 2016, I think, um, at which point I kind of felt like I was, you know, I was getting a quarter of the profit and I felt that, I mean, I was basically, I was originating everything we were betting for the most part. And so I kind of felt like I, you know, I deserved a little bit, a higher share. Um, and I think we'd been working together for so long. And I think that was, that was, that was difficult. It was, um, it was very difficult when you're really close friends with these people to sort of have that conversation. And I think there were some hurt feelings and I ended up kind of like, um, mostly going out on my own at that point. And it's, it's been, it's been a journey since then. Um, I've been, yeah, it's, it was a lot in a way it was a lot easier when I was one of four people that were very experienced in this already. Yeah. Um, than it is sort of having to having the buck stop with you, but, um, I don't know. It's all part of the journey. What, what's your ideal, like team setup? And I say this for, for, in this perspective, I don't like uh, a lot of overlapping skill sets, especially if I believe I uh, I can produce the best version of that that skill, that necessary skill. When I uh, would put together group projects, I would I would put together people that maybe people would overlook. I don't want four versions of me. I want three other people that do things that I am not capable of and fill in the holes. Um, I think that's part of it is because I'm a bit of a control freak like that and. I, the guy I trust the most in the world is me. Um, is, is that your reluctance to grow your team, uh, your unwillingness to trust people to do it at your level or, 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 or what would you say it is? I think, I mean, certainly I've always been pretty, I've guarded my IP pretty tightly, but I think the bigger thing is also just that you're making, um, you are taking, you bring on more people, you're taking a smaller slice of the pie. And so you need to be able to have faith that you're building that pie to a large enough extent that it, that it's worth it. And sometimes that's hard to really know. And I think that what I've realized from, um, bringing Telemachus on is, is that like, maybe I should have made that bet long ago. Um, cause I think you, you, you know, it's sometimes with just inertia, um, you, you kind of, I don't know. Inertia can kind of stop you from, from change and growing. And, but in terms of skill sets, I mean, he, what works so well is that our skill sets are all very complementary. There's things that we can all do a little bit, but, but for the most part, we, we have different expertises, um, which makes it work really, really well. All right. I, I want to actually talk about work-life balance, but I want to save that towards the end because I like uh, your approach to life outside of just sports betting, and I'd like to talk to you about that. Uh, I had Captain Jack on this uh, podcast, and he said a, a quote that made it around, you know, gambling Twitter and made the ends that Rufus is the best sports better he knows. I want to put you on the spot. You don't have to name any names, but who's the best sports better that you know? 
Well, he's not betting right now, but um, but Matt David Al. He's a good author too. Yeah, he is. He's his brain just works at a level that uh, like nobody else I've seen. I mean, like when he was with Deck Prism, I mean with Deck Prism, he had he had a whole like it's like that whole team was in essence just trying to like take his brain and build products with it. it he's he just thinks about things on this at, at such a high level. There's um I oftentimes if someone explains something to me enough. Uh, or their perspective, I can underst- I can start to understand how they view things and, and how they arrive to that conclusion. There's one guy in, in my pathway, and this isn't related to sports betting, but every time he gave me a vantage point, I never saw it coming. He, he has a, he's a marketer, and he has a way of looking at things like I've never seen before. Like he, It breaks my brain to, to how he gets to conclusions, and then when he explains it, I'm like, it does make a ton of sense. Um, they say you never stop learning in sports betting you uh referenced it earlier in the interview what's something that you can share you've learned in the last six months a new piece of information that changed your outlook so i think what i've learned is that i need to spend more time and energy focusing on um on teamwork and managing people and and essentially like the people skills within the team um and sometimes it's better to to take a little bit of time away from my computer and to think big picture and to lay out a plan than it is to just dive into things and just be like grinding the whole time. And I think that's kind of always been my tendency to just kind of like dive into things. And and I think that I, you know, but if you do that, there's going to be some wasted motion. Um, and so I think it's that um, patience. Generally, when I, when I, I think my superpower is the ability to really just hyper-focus on something and, and work really hard on it for a while. I'm not good at the sort of day-to-day management side as much as I am good at like building stuff and yeah. I'm just getting like going all in on that. And so when I'm there though, I'm like, I, I want, I'm like, I, I need this data now. Like, oh, someone's like, they can get to it in two days. I'm like, well, that doesn't help me now. So I, I'm, so being more patient in terms of with that has is, is been something I've, I've been getting better at. Okay. I, I, I appreciate that. You you have um a great podcast with Jeff Ma. How do you know Jeff outside of it? W- where do you guys meet? Jeff and I met it's I think the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference back in maybe 2012 or 2013. Um, more more than 10 years ago. And I he, at the time I don't think he knew any other professional sports betters. I mean he, he might he might take issue with that, but I, I don't believe he did. Um, and so he was very interested in the way I, I, I looked at things and we kind of hit it off. Now the movie hadn't come out at that point or, or not for no, those who don't know. Okay. Jeff, yeah. Jeff, uh, the character in the movie 21, uh, Ben Campbell, the, the whiz kid was based on Jeff Ma who pitches who on the idea of a podcast. Uh, when do you guys formally say, let's get on the mic and let's talk there's some disagreement over this it was it was the summer of 2017 though because there was a vegas trip and we were at wet republic it was jeff me and brian mead among other people and i think that's kind of where the idea for it came and brian mead um was at the time um was at this had the sports action app which became part of the action network then um but that was um you know, I think it the the genesis of 
the the podcast. Though. I mean, the, the real reason we were both interested in it was that we both had done these stints as ESPN's predictive analytics expert. And we were both kind of frustrated by the way we had to talk about sports and games and gambling and very much sound bites, confidence, um, narratives. And we kind of felt like that's, well, A, I wasn't very good at it at all. Um, but, but there wasn't a, a lot uh, in the sort of media space that was, I guess, covering gambling in an intelligent way. And so that's, that's where Bet the Process was born. And I believe that I came up with the podcast name, but Jeff, Jeff is, you know, I think remembers incorrectly. The easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sportsbook for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by clicking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode. Uh, I love it. I, I love your dynamic. You guys are feisty. You guys uh, will get on each other's cases. Well, Jeff gets on your case. I, th I think that's the dynamic that you guys have. Um, I've been accused of of not going hard on guests. And I and I say, you know what? I, I, I can't do it. That's not my style of broadcasting. If you want Barbara Walters and grilling a guest, you're not going to get it with me. I won't bring on a guest if I don't have some level of admiration for or respect. Um, you brought on a guest, Jason McIntyre. I, uh, that was the first time I was like, I, I felt uh, awkward listening to it. I'm like, my God, I need to step out of the room. I, uh, it felt like two family members, uh, arguing at Christmas and you're like, I don't want any parts of this. I'm going out for a cigarette. Uh, did you know full well, that's how it was going to go when, when he, when you invited him on? Well, imagine how uncomfortable it was for me. I kind of am a peacemaker as well. And I don't like conflict. And so, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of trying to be like, oh, Jeff doesn't mean this. <laughs> but uh, I, I knew that there would be, I knew there'd be some of that for sure. And yeah. Did you guys, but, have you ever talked to him since? Like, was it all, was it hard feelings after or, or did he understand? Oh, I, th I think he understood, but I don't know. I mean, Jeff has a way of, I don't know. I think, I mean, J Jeff, Jeff can be very direct and, and he gives great feedback. Um, but I think if people take it personally, then they're not going to listen to it. And so that's kind of, uh, I think he's, I, I think he did a pretty decent job though. Um, and, and I don't think, uh, I mean, I think he told Jason after that, like, thank, you know, thanks for coming on. And like, it, this, it wasn't, it was, it was not personal at all in any way. And so um, I, I, I think that relationship's okay. I don't know. It didn't devolve into a shouting match if nobody's heard the episode, but I, I do recommend you listen to it. Uh, there was some talks about having Darren Rovell also joining you guys on the pod. Darren is a, like a lightning beam for controversy. And <laughs> uh, he, he recanted on his promise to show up on the pod. You think he's ever going to reconsider? I don't know. I mean, probably not, but it, it, saying a promise is, is kind of, 
I don't know, mischaracterizing it a little bit. I, I asked if he would come on. He was, and he he said sure, but you know, this this was after his panel with with where Rob like tore him a new asshole. Um, like I think he kind of reconsidered. I mean, he he reconsidered. I think he kind of was like, well, what am I going to gain from this? And decided sure. that it wasn't you know wasn't in his best interest, and that's fine. But I mean, I. I I respected him for uh, for showing up on that panel at, at the at Bet Bash. I, I don't know what how it was it was billed to him, you know. I, I tell you, I think he came to network with Billy Walters to get the interview, and he agreed that all right, I'll, I'll put up with the panel to to pull off the Billy Walters interview. That's you know, I hadn't thought about that. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, my all time favorite uh, episode was a guest named Shane Sigsby. I hadn't heard him on any other podcast. It was brand new, and I thought you guys did a great job. I thought he has a fascinating story. Um, who do you have an all-time favorite episode or guest? And I know you don't want to throw under the bus everybody that you don't name, but is there one that stands out that maybe surprised you how good it turned out? I don't know. I mean, I think our recent run of episodes have been really, really solid, but there's there's no one episode that I would say that was the best. That's because you're scared of BPR and you need to put out some high quality interviews so that you, I don't know, you know what? I'll be honest, the BPR thing, I kind of, I kind of like the kind of accountability and the feedback I get on individual episodes because our, our bet the process uh, reviews are, I mean, we're, we're trashed in general, just from the stuff back uh, with Empire Maker back in late 2020 when he, or 21, where he paid, uh, that was 2020, um, where he paid like 50 people 20 bucks each to give one star reviews for us. So, uh, I, but, but I like the idea of a feedback from individual episodes to see what kind of works and what doesn't. And it has motivated me to up my game a little bit. I think I enjoyed uh, it actually put me onto an interview that I had never heard. And so I thank them for that, even though they hate me and they think I'm the worst host in this space. I don't care. Yeah, I want to, you just have to keep, you have, you're going to keep getting better and then like show them, right? That's, you know what? Uh, eventually, uh, you either come to to love me or you come to hate me. I don't let it bother me. I've got really thick skin. Um, Twitter is a necessary evil. We need it to promote ourselves. We need it for information. But it's hard not to see criticism that comes at you. How do you deal with it? Because you get into a Twitter uh, rift every now and then. Yeah, I, I don't do it as often as I used to. I, I used to really, really get, you know, mix it up with people. Um, I remember the, uh, remember those days with the, the Michael Schwimmer stuff. <laughs> but I've, um, it's been a journey for me though, because I think initially I took it more personally. I'm somebody, I'm a pleaser. I, I, like, I want people to like me. Um, and it was, it was if somebody said something negative, I was like, no, they just like, no, I mean, I'll explain it to them. Then they'll understand. Right. And it's and what I realized is like, you know, the person doesn't go on Twitter to try to understand me or my motivation. They, they have their own reasons for doing things with what they're doing. And, and, um, you know, when I realized that, that, that it, it's never about, it's not about me. It's about what, you know, if somebody, gets upset at me it's probably stuff you know that that that's going on with them um and so that that made it 
that kind of thought made it made it easier. But I mean, I've I've developed the thick skin, I guess, um, where it just it, it doesn't affect me. I've realized that I'm. I, th I think it's come from like, having a better idea of who I am, like my identity. And when I thought my identity was like being like the best golf batter, then um, then it's tough because <laughs> that's really fragile. Like that's not going to last forever. And so when when I realized like my who my that my identity is like who I am as a person, and, and um, suddenly the other stuff didn't matter as much. And so what yeah. what what I realized is when life changed for me as far as dealing with criticism is the day I stopped trying to validate myself to anybody. I don't care. I am who I am in all my uh, faults and uh, goodness. And if you don't like the person that I am, that's fine. That's that's your perception of it. Um, I also find people are easy to criticize online. And I have oh, yeah. high doubts that they would ever say that to me in person. So I don't take it personally. Unabated is a company that you co-founded. And you guys take a lot of heat from the Sharp community. They call it you exposing edges and putting it out there. And how do you deal with all the criticism from the Sharp community when it comes to unabated? Well, first off, I think we're all, I mean, anybody who's a Sharp, well, Sharp better is, is helping to eliminate edges, right? And make the market more efficient. So I think it's the fact that something like the teaser tool um, made it put it in the hands of a lot more people. But so I, I'll say, I think that I'm kind of painted by some people as like this opportunistic person with this plan to sort of extract money from other betters. Um, and again, they, nothing I say, if, if you've already made up your mind, is going to change that. But, um, the, the truth is that, that unabated kind of came out of, well, it was, during the pandemic and I was, I, I, I wanted, wanted a new challenge and, and liked the idea of like working with the team on, on something, on a new project. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a journey. Um, I like, I, I enjoy the building of products and stuff. I've realized that I do not like the business side of things at all. And mm -hmm. so I um, recently earlier this year, like taking a step back and said, I don't want to be involved in, I don't want to be involved in the, the business stuff. Like, that's just not something I enjoy. Like you guys know, know how I feel. If there's something really important, you can talk to me, but um, I want to be involved when, you know, we're building a product like the NFL simulator or, you know, like that's, that's how I work the best. And so, um, it's, it's been, it's been a learning experience and, and I, I totally get why people are, are upset about quote edges being ruined, but, um, the, and, and I would probably be that feel that way if I were in their shoes as well. Um, I think the ethos that I've always sort of had and, and what I, what I've, what I'm more passionate about is, is sort of building these products that let people kind of quantify their own opinion like yeah. the NFL simulator where you can come in with your own power ratings um, or like the, the prop stuff where, where we'll price out that distribution for you based on your projection. Like to me, that stuff makes more sense. Um, unfortunately, I just don't think that stuff is what is as popular because I think if I try to build products for me, there's not, there's not as many people um, like me 
or you for that matter, right? That are, um, unfortunately, I think people want the answers more. And so that's, that's something that we've, we've had to wrestle with as a company for sure. And, and we're, we're not always all on the same page on that. Well, um, even though I told you I'd like to be a lawyer, I'm not, I don't, I'm not here to litigate, uh, the ethicalness or anything about unabated. I did want to ask you it though. I want to move into the portion of the interview to end things. I want to talk about uh, life outside of sports betting. I find a lot of us identify as a sports better and it consumes them. Um, my favorite aspects of life are outside of sports betting with friends and family and my hobbies. My first question is if you weren't betting sports, what's a career path that you thought you could be really successful in? You know, maybe a sports journalist. I don't know. I, I really have no idea. I mean, I maybe something on Wall Street, although I'd never thought I would. I don't I don't think I had enough like passion about, you know, I mean, I, I think what made me a good sports, what makes me a good sports better is is an interest in, in, in having questions. I mean, asking the right questions is so important. And I don't know if I'd be able to do that in traditional finance. Um, so I, I really don't know. I, I would have thought probably something related to sports, though. I always thought working in a front office would be amazing. And, you know, now I'm like, thank God I'm not doing that. I still think it would be fun. I, my, my dream is to be in an NFL draft war room one day, even if I'm just the guy uh, mopping the floor. I would, I would like to experience the electricity of it. I want to ask you about work-life balance. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of hours um, in this type of work. What is your out of work balance like? Is it uh, do you have a part of the year that you you know get to decompress, or is there a hobby that you do? Is there you know I don't work e evenings anymore. What's your uh, escape from the work? You know that's it's something I struggled with a lot over the years, and I think I've gotten a lot better at it in the past year or two. I, I do like playing golf. Um, I have started exercising a lot more and more regularly, but I think what's hard for me is the fact that I'm at my best when I can just go full bore at something, which means yeah. that, which, which necessitates like not having balance there. So I think when I get into those sort of modes, um, embracing it and being okay with that. And then just knowing on the other end of that, then I'm going to come out and I'm going to take some time away from it and I'm going to, you know, prioritize, um, other things. And so I, I will say I need to be better about actually taking vacations. I've taken two weeks off in my adult life. And actually the second week, like there was like an emergency in the golf betting thing that I had to, so I had to actually like spend a day, uh, on vacation in Aruba, like on a vacation where I was supposed to be completely unplugged, um, dealing with, with a bug in the model. But, but I've always like, I mean, I went to Burning Man in 2019 and, and had no, there was no screen time. I, my cell phone was off the entire time and it was just this, it was such an amazing reset. And I actually came out of it feeling really motivated for, for betting and like with a bunch of ideas and I was just so excited to get back to it. And so, and I have not learned my lesson clearly because it feels like it's just so hard to take a week off, it, but that's what I need to do. You struggle with this part. You go on the vacation. You come back. You're like, yeah, I got to do that more often. I've got a vacation, see more of the world. It's so good. And then you get back into the grind of things, and you're like, no, I can't get away. I, I'm too busy. Yeah. 
right? Uh, okay, that's so something that I struggle with. There, there's a wrestler, Kevin Nash, uh, if you knew him from WWE, his name was Diesel. He was asked a question on why wrestlers never leave the wrestling business, even as they get older. And he says, if you walked by an ATM machine and it was firing $20 bills at you, you'd probably stop, grab a garbage bag and fill it up. And then you'd fill up a second and then you'd fill up a third. And then you get to the point where you got 50 garbage bags full of cash, but it's still spitting out money. At what point do you just grab those 50 bags and walk away and call it a day? Or do you never walk away because it keeps spitting out money? So my question is, do you have an exit strategy for sports betting? Is this something you see yourself doing for the next 5, 10, 20 years? Or is there another evolution of your life um, or a venture that you want to pursue one day? It's a great question. I mean, first off, I think the most valuable currency is, is time. Um, and I've... I don't have an exit strategy. Um, I, I put myself in a, a position where I, I'm, I mean, I think I could walk away from this and, and, but then what would I do? Um, it's something I enjoy doing and I'm trying to keep doing the things I enjoy and sort of trim out the things that I don't. Yeah. That's kind of the goal. And I mean, I think the beauty of life though, is the fact that I don't know what's coming and I, I might completely reinvent myself and, and do something completely different. I have no idea. Um, but I think it, that's, that's, uh, it's going to be a surprise. And I'm, if, if I, if I knew all this, it wouldn't be as much fun. Just like if you, it, it's never fun to watch a football game that's already happened where you already know the score. Right. So but it's the same thing. <laughs> Unless you're learning from it. Cause I, I rewatch every game uh, on Monday. So yeah, right. no, I, I totally get it. Uh, Rufus, you've been so generous with your time. I won't take up any more of it. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I've been a, a fan of yours for years. I listen to every episode that you guys have put out. So for you to join me, it was honestly an honor and a, and a pleasure for me. Well, George, thanks for having me on. And I think you're a fantastic interviewer and, and I really enjoy your podcast. Thank you. I think BPR's mind's going to explode when uh, two, the two of us get together for an episode. And uh, can't wait to see the rating. Thank you yeah, so what's much. What's the over-under? Uh, three and a half. Um, uh, George didn't press Rufus hard enough about uh, touting unabated. Uh, no for a reason. <laughs> okay, thanks. Take care. That's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest Rufus Peabody, professional sports better, co-host of Bet the Process, co-founder of unabated.com, the sponsors of this podcast, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor before you go, like the content, subscribe, share, and comment. We'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 Degrees podcast where we give an inside look into the sports betting industry. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time. <laughs>